The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning. Welcome to Visions in Sound. My name is Rob Daniels. And for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions in Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week, right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 10 of 2021, and show number 1063, if you're keeping track that way. This week, we head into March with a celebration of the 20th anniversary of The Mummy Returns. Now, The Mummy Returns was written and directed by Stephen Summers and stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Rachel Weisst, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo, Odette Fair, and Dwayne Johnson, or as he liked to be known at the time, The Rock. The film is a sequel to the 1999 film Mummy, The Mummy, and it was distributed by Universal Pictures. So joining me this week on this particular show is uh, two. We have, I haven't had two guests on the show for a long time, and it's really nice to have these guys back. I'd like to introduce uh, Jason Drury, all the way from Ramsgate, England, and Eric Woods from just across town. So welcome, guys. Good morning, Rob. How you doing? Not doing too Good bad. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, The Mummy... Returns in um, is the inspired 2002's yeah inspired rather the 2002 prequel f- film The Scorpion King, which is the spinoff uh, that is set 5,000 years prior, and whose eponymous character Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, was introduced in this film. I really um, liked the first film, The Mummy, and it was kind of a. I, would you say it was like a surprise hit? Because I don't think they were expecting the mummy to do like to. It, it was kind of just a Brendan Fraser vehicle that turned into a um, an, an kind of a surprise franchise for them in the Universal. 
uh, because as as we have we have discussed, the Mummy Returns seemed a little bit rushed into the theaters. It was uh, only about a what, two year time span between the two films. So, um, I personally watched the film about uh, about uh, about maybe a day ago, and I still enjoyed it. I really, I, I did enjoy it. The effects are somewhat dated. And uh, there are some some moments in it where you kind of go, okay. But for the most part, um, I thought it was a pretty standard um, adventure fair. So guys, thoughts on, uh, for initial thoughts. I saw it in the theater. Did you both guys see it in the theaters? Eric. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I saw it in the theater. I actually took my... Uh took my parents to go see it because I was so looking forward to it. I, like you, um, really enjoyed the first movie a lot. I mean, it was my, that was my Indiana Jones fix. Because we never, ever thought we'd ever see Indiana Jones again on the big screen. So when I saw this movie, um, I didn't expect to be as enjoyable as it was. And it was just a fantastic romp. It seemed like they... They really cared about it, took their time with it. Special effects were fantastic. Great cast. It was just a fantastic movie. So, yeah, they they obviously rushed to get the sequel done. It's obvious. The the special effects, a, a, a lot of them don't feel like they're they're finished, especially uh, the reveal of the Scorpion King at the end of the movie. <laughs> <Nay>. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's a legendary, awful special effect. Yeah. Um, but there are moments to, to really like, there are some great action uh, sequences, including, um, and we talked earlier about this, the, uh, double decker bus, uh, chase sequence known as, uh, my first bus ride, <laughs> which I think is just, uh, uh, thrilling. And there's some uh, other great moments as well. I mean, of course the chemistry between, uh, Frazier and Vice is just absolutely fantastic. I didn't get much with the, the kid. I think the kid bugged me more than anything. <laughs> and, uh, but I thought that those two were, that were really good. And, and, and I think Vice was definitely missed in the third, uh, film, but yeah, I, I, I came out of the, the sequel rather disappointed just because it did feel rushed. Um, and I also felt that Arnold Vosloh, who played the mummy in the first one, who was brought back for this one, seemed rather wasted. He didn't really do much in the movie. so no. And there was just way too many characters, a, a lot of stuff happening, and it was just kind of a bit of a, a, a muddled uh, mess. But, I mean, I think we all can agree that Alan Silvestri uh, really knocked it out of the park, having taken over from... Uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who uh, wrote the the music for the first movie. All right, Jason, your thoughts? Yes, yes. When the heavy said about about the little boy said, "Can I kill him now?" I was saying, "Yes, kill him, <laughs> yes." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, we saw. I saw it like eight hours ago for the first time I think since like ooh, a long time lately, twenty years ago since I last saw it because I got the the, uh, the the Ultimate Mummy Collection. I think when it, when the Mummy Returns came out. I first saw it at the uh, Colton Cinema in Westgate, and uh, many, myself and many saw it, and we both enjoyed it. We still, I was still traumatized by the Scorpion King effect at the end of the film, which is absolutely appalling. And it's not surprising because it was done like finished eight days before the film was due to uh, be completed. So I'm not surprised it doesn't look that good. The film, okay, it's 20 years old. The effects are, you know, effects of of uh, graduated during time. It's it's okay for its time. 
it kind of sags a little bit in the middle when the the balloon the balloon journey but uh, as eric says the the main thing of, of, of this film the main bit kick out of it is Anna Silvestri's score is absolutely wonderful it's a, it sounds like a huge, like 110 plus orchestra, I think it was, that the uh, for the Symphony of London, and it is, it, it really just belts out even now. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great score, and I think I'm, if I remember rightly, I have probably played it on the uh, my archive show a few a couple of years ago, and, and uh, it was well worth it because it's just, it, it is a, it shows the epic style of Alan Silvestri, which is continued on all through the years right up to the Avengers films. This is more or less is like his tryout for the Avengers in a way, musically. Okay. Well, that's that's really cool. And actually, actually that brings me to what we were actually going to discuss, a little bit of the of the score. Now, um, just a little bit of background here. The film features, of course, the score by Alan Silvestri. Now, Jerry Goldsmith wrote the score for the 1999 film The Mummy. Goldsmith did not return to score the sequel, uh, due to the fact that that he hated how he was treated by Summers, the director, while working on the film, Goldsmith stated he was holed up in a hotel somewhere while composing the score, and Summers was not very communicative with him. So, um, that is weird, because he also worked on Summers' film. What was it? The uh, Deep Rising, yes. as well. And I thought both scores were really solid. And oh, yeah. I'm curious as to, like, the, he must have really ticked off Goldsmith to have him not come back for that for that film, for, this, yeah, for, the, for the movie returns. Yeah, Goldsmith had a horrible time on it. He just said it was one of the worst experiences, and they couldn't have paid him an, um, you mean wor- any amount for him to worse, come back for the sequel. Worse than, than Legend or worse than uh, Alien? <laughs> like, yeah, really? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it, he was, he's, he's... Uh, kind of at the tail end of his career, and maybe he wants to try other things, and he just he just didn't have time for this sort of crap anymore. He'd been through it, like you said, he'd been through it before with Ridley Scott twice, and um, I mean, I don't know what the relationship was like or the, the experience that he had on Deep Rising, but obviously it was okay for him to come back for The Mummy, and I thought mm-hmm. the score that he wrote for The Mummy was inspired. It is a fantastic adventure score. That same year, he also wrote The 13th Warrior, which was a replacement score. Yeah. And uh, he knocked both of those out of the park. Just great, grand, old-school, styled um, adventure orchestral scores. And so, yeah, it was disappointing for him to not be back for the sequel. But I think for any composer coming in uh, for the sequel, I mean, you would hope that they would utilize the themes that came before it. Well, Silvestri said, no, we're not going to do that. It's going to be new love theme, new hero theme, and everything of that sort. But I think that if you're going to do that, then your themes better be just as good or better than the original. And I think Silvestri matched what Goldsmith did on the first film and at times even outdid what Goldsmith did on the first movie. All right. I have a question to you guys, and it just it just dawned on me. Was this, po- was this pre or post Pirates of the Caribbean for Silvestri? Because he, he, was, he was removed from that project. I think it's pre, a couple of years after after the Mummy Returns came past the Caribbean. Yeah, and, and he uh, only got to the 1M1Q. That's what I think Silvestri said. He wrote like the opening, and that was it. He was then gone. He was tossed hmm. immediately after that. So, and I think then he went on to work on um, on Tomb Raider, hmm. uh, the second Tomb Raider movie. But yeah, he didn't get much done on Pirates. 
at all. Okay. So if I, if I remember rightly, did it, it, it was described as too old fashioned. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What is yeah. it with Hollywood and calling calling adventurous <laughs> scores old fashioned? I'm I'm They're... honestly shocked that Sylvester got past you know the process of getting hired, especially it being a a, a Jerry Bruckheimer uh, right picture yeah. right. So I mean, there's That's a Bruckheimer it. sound. Sylvester is not the Bruckheimer sound. No. <laughs> All right. Well, we've just okay. Go ahead. I'm I can, sorry, I can, Jason. I can, I can, I can remember the, the phone call. So you know, think oh, that's Sylvester old fashioned. Let's get Zimmer in. Get him in now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, we've discussed the Sylvester score enough. I think we should actually get a chance to hear it, so at least a little bit of it, before we discuss some more uh, of the finer points, including that absolutely horrid special effect. And it's <laughs> it truly it, it truly I, is terrible. It is. Twenty years on, I still have nightmares. Right. Okay, so here we are. Uh, this is, we're celebrating the twentieth anniversary of the Mummy Returns and the score by Alan Silvestri. Back in a bit.
And with a little bit of music from the film The Mummy Returns, that's music, of course, by Alan Silvestri, as we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of said film. And um, if you are interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Apple Podcasts and other podcasts where good you can well you can find me mainly on apple podcasts just type in visions and sound into the search engine and look for me under of course podcasts oddly enough so welcome back to visions and sound as this week we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of the mummy returns now we were having a little discussion offline guys uh about the the kid in the uh in the in the film and I brought up the whole notion of the idea, does the addition of a child or a kid to a film kill the film? And uh, you, uh, one of the things that, that uh, and I mean, there are lots of examples of this. When you look at Jake Lloyd in, in uh, Phantom Menace, if you look at uh, a bunch of other various films, when you introduce a RoboCop 3, for example, when the you know there's a there's the uh, the one little girl uh, turns the the Ed two o nine into this kind of almost like a pet kind of thing. So there's their constant uh, the, the, they try constant to try and make things kid friendly, and at the same time it really annoys the audience. So guys, yeah. what do you feel about uh, the the addition of Rick and Evie's son? to the uh to the mummy returns eric i didn't like him <laughs> at all <laughs> I, I i i think that most of the jokes landed flat uh, that he was that he was given i don't particularly think he was a great actor and i just felt that he got in the way although he was one of the major plot devices i mean without him getting kidnapped you know the movie doesn't happen true um and i think that they could have done it in a different way or you just have to have the right actor true and we were talking earlier about um you know if we go back a few years from this movie we go to indiana jones and the temple of doom right in short round now a lot of people find short round annoying as well i personally feel that the bond between indy and short round is way stronger than the bond that indiana jones would have with his own son in the fourth movie. True. And that's developed through just great scenes with the two of them together. And it doesn't have to be very long, but what really solidifies Indy and Short Round's relationship is the card game um, during their journey to Pancot Palace. And I don't feel that kind of bond between the family as a whole. Um, I think we were talking earlier about the chemistry between, uh, you know, Rick and Evie mm -hmm. and that's there, mm -hmm. but just this kid is just there to get the plot going. He's going to be kidnapped. Uh, he's going to say some, you know, smart Alec things later on down the road, but I don't feel like he was terrified or scared that he was captured by like, a, you know, like, you know, when he saw the transformation of the mummy right yeah. on the train, it was like, I, I just don't feel like I, I didn't care about their son. I really didn't. And they tried their best 
to make it feel like, you know, like Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz did, did their best with what was given to them, make it seem like that they really wanted to get their son back. Right. But it just felt like it was, there was a separation there. And I don't think the kid added anything to this movie whatsoever. Uh, Jason. Yeah. Making films kid friendly is always a problem. And in, in this case, it, it I, I hated the I hated the kid. Just like Eric, I just, I, I, I just, I just I, as I said at the beginning, when when they, when the can I can I kill him now? And I said, go, you know, we get the bracelet. I was just thinking, go on, kill kill him. I can't, I can't do, just get rid of him. I can't stand it. <laughs> now now all that being but but, okay. but but he needed to be part. As, as I said, he needed to be part of the plot. And um, as I said, get kids into films. It's got to be done in a proper way. Right. In, as we said, Indiana Jones, we've short run it, had a backstory and it worked out so well. This one was just annoying. Surely they could have got a better kid. Some example, a great example, another great example of a kid in a movie is Newton Aliens. But that was so natural. Oh, yes. yeah. So natural. Yes. Because she wasn't really an actress and she had, it was such an, it looked really natural. This kid is just overacting big time. And it's, yeah. And, 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 and you can see it. And you can, I, can, I can see, imagine him going to school and look, I'm in this film and really, really being bigoted about it. it, it, it I looked at his IMDb, IMDb uh, credits since, and he didn't do much afterwards. I'm not surprised. Hmm. He wasn't really... This, this, it, this was... I think I said to... I, I kind of called it like the scrappy-do effect, I think. It is, you, know, you, get, you put something in there. I think probably could have been producer said to Stephen Summers, try and make the film more kid-friendly. Try and get sort of, sort of his kids sort of put in this brat, and, it's, and, and it didn't work. But yeah. uh, there is some occasions when, you know, it's a Robo- the Robocop with a kid, that is absolutely ridiculous, considering the first Robocop film, it did that for you, so you knew the film was just really toning down too much. But there is, there is ways of getting a kid into the film and it still works. But in this case, despite all the efforts, and there was a lot of efforts, you can, see, you can clearly see the, the, that Fraser and Vice were trying to show that they loved the kid and they wanted you know they wanted to save him but right well what, what, what they were saving was it really worth it to me <laughs> right okay now i do have to say this though i thought that the the uh, uh chemistry between the kid and the assassin um was 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 even better than the kid and his parents yeah well- well, I mean, because the assassin wanted to kill him. Exactly. I mean, we're all like, yes, yes, do it. Get rid of him. <laughs> it feels awful to say that. But yeah, yeah, they had a little thing going on for sure. Absolutely. But I mean, that gave the assassin something to do as well. I mean, there's just there's just way too many characters. There's yeah. way too much happening. And I think if they stripped some of that back uh, and simplified the journey, um, but then again, it's the sequel. You have to do it bigger and better and... and it all has to be out there on the screen. And I just find that there's no way that this is better than the first movie. Hmm. Uh, there's no way. The first one still is one that I love and cherish and will watch any day of the week. I love that movie. One and of, I can't say the same about the second. One of the actors was really wasted in this film was Alan Armstrong. He was absolutely wasted. Yeah. He was just walking around, you know, yeah. doing funny, yeah. funny, funny spells. And then he ends up just walking on set and again, he's on, you know, Made look old, and that was it. He didn't. He didn't do much at all. It's, it's, it's a great actor. He's done so many great things over the years, and this wasn't one of his better performances because he wasn't given much to do. 
Yeah. And I mean, in, in bringing back the uh, Jonathan, the you know, the brother, just he seemed wasted as well. <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot of wasted talent. Like Arnold yeah. Voslo, again, really didn't have much to do here in this movie. And Except uh, open, open his mouth really wide. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They're in the water <laughs> sequence. You're right. Yeah. It's so odd. So odd. Yeah, it's a bit of a mess, um, unfortunately. All right. Well, we're going to get back to the music here, but I do want to make one more little statement here. This actually features music from one of my my favorite scenes, and it's the bus scene. But it also has one of of the favorite lines in the film, one of the most sincerely um, delivered by Odette Fair. He says, this was my first bus ride. Yeah. I think it's yeah. it's such a wonderfully delivered line. And it's just a just a just fantastic after all they've been through it's just this was my first bus ride. This is the yeah. thing that he comes up with. Anyway, <laughs> let's continue on with some more music from The Mummy Returns as we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of the film. Back in just a bit.
For over 15 years, Waterloo Mattress has made your comfort their most important focus. Waterloo Mattress now offers their in-home care division, a complete line of products so you can relax, rest, and recover in the comfort of your own home. From mattresses and mattress protectors to accessories like fully adjustable hospital bed frames for purchase or rent. Whatever your sleep needs, they have the right fit for you. Support local, shop local, and see it all at waterloomattress.ca. Sleep well, live well. For 25 years, Hope Spring Cancer Support Center has been serving Waterloo, Wellington, and Grey Bruce regions, providing free services and support to those with cancer and their caregivers. They inspire, they empower, and they offer hope, always there for the community. The fire at the end of Waterloo destroyed over 80% of Hope Spring's resources, tools, and belongings. Hope Spring receives no government funding, so every gift is vital. To donate items or make a financial donation, visit hopespring.ca. It's iconic, showcasing the best in cinema, and it's right here in Waterloo Region. Princess Cinemas, Kitchener-Waterloo's award-winning independent art house cinema. The princess will get you lost in real cinema, from contemporary and cult films to new international, Canadian, and specialty releases. Princess Cinemas, with three screens in Uptown Waterloo, at 46 King Street North and 6 Princess Street West, Uptown Waterloo. Save your seat. Seat sale on now to support the Princess Cinema until we're all back in our seats. Check it out at princesscinema.com. 98.5 CKWR.
a little bit more music from The Mummy Returns. We're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the movie, as well as the the score by Alan Silvestri. And we have had some great discussion off air. Um, And where didn't didn't we go with uh, some of our conversations? But yeah, um, we were were discussing actually um, the... um, just a whole whole bunch, a whole myriad of topics, and uh, and uh, we've actually got onto co- some of the other shows that I have coming up in the in the coming weeks, and one of them is the 30th anniversary of the, uh, the Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, which has a fantastic score by Cliff Eidelman, and we'll we'll get into that more later on because I I'm hoping that you guys will join me on that show as well. Be very very cool. To. I'd be. be, be That'd be very cool. So that's the end of this, actually the end of this month we're already looking, looking at so far. So, so with that in, with that in mind, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound@gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter, as I often say, at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. I have a store. If you want to be stylish this uh, this coming spring, then by all means, go to the store and grab grab a nice hoodie or a, uh, a, a wonderful Visions and Sound t-shirt or something like that as well. Just check it out, please. Just for me. In any case, also, you can also find me on uh, the um, uh, on the podcasts as well. I am on... Uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, so just type in Visions and Sound into a podcast search engine, and uh, you'll be able to uh, uh, find me under podcasts there. So, guys, uh, continuing on with the the, the movie, the uh, continuing on with our our discussions of the Mummy Returns, we're gonna um, in the time we've got a little bit of time we've got left. Let's discuss the elephant or the scorpion in the room. Um, <laughs> the Absolutely terrible, terrible um, visual effect of, and this is the introduction, kind of, of this, of this, this um, Scorpion King character. I mean, we see him in his human form in the in the opening of the film, but this is this is the big reveal here, and it's just awful, just awful. So now I did, I was not aware of this, but, um, you said it was, uh, was it Jason that said there was eight days before the release of the film that they, they worked on that special effect. That's it. Eight days. That's probably why it looks so bad. It didn't have the time to finish it. And that's why it is as it is (sighs) falling. And and, and thank the Lord, it didn't affect Dwayne Johnson's career because as I I said, out away as well from off air. Yeah. He has now developed into one of those family-friendly actors who is doing some great stuff, and he's really worked hard in his acting. And he's, you know, like the, the two Jumanji films. Yeah. That's the sort of it, it's the sort of thing that would, would have killed another actor's career. Yeah. But he went through, and he's, you know, he persevered from there, and he's doing some good work now. So it's all credit to him. But uh, it wasn't it, obviously it wasn't his fault. He wasn't involved with the special effect, but it didn't right. do him any favors, I'm sure. No. Well, one of the things I used to make, uh, I, I used to, well, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do this to his face, but I used to, I used to, <laughs> I used to sit there and go, yeah. And th- th- whenever I would see the, the, uh, the, his, the credit, the rock, 
I'd be like, yeah, yeah it's Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Is, is that thing coming through the door now? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Fortunately. You know, it, but it is kind of funny because you're right. It was supposed to be the big reveal. And, and I had just recently... I mean, like a couple of hours ago, just watched the the last half of this movie, and you know, this is where, you know, the mummy, Arnold Boslu and um, and uh, O'Connor, they're they're fighting mm-hmm. in the Scorpion King's pyramid, yeah. and then of course you hear that growl, and then they stop fighting, and then the doors open, and you're like, oh baby, what is this going <laughs> to be right? And even and even though I know what's happened already, I'm watching it going. Wow, you know what? They actually set this up pretty well, right? Everything's yep. just stopped dead, and here he is, and and he's in silhouette when you first see him open the door, but then <laughs> everything <laughs> after that, and it's like you you know that the filmmakers are like, this is going to be awesome, and they set it up in and and it's you're right, Jason. I mean, the fact that it was like only days before this thing was released and they hadn't rendered it out all properly and he just looks like a mannequin yeah and they have and and what's the first shot he comes you know walking up to close to the camera and it's like full on his face is right there in full frame and it looks awful yeah and you're like but this is supposed to be the big reveal this is the big fight yeah everything's going on and you know who's trying so hard to make this work, Alan Silvestri. Yes, yep. yes. <laughs> and it's glorious. It, yeah. His music is brilliant, but man, none of this works. Right. Now, um, I don't know if you guys are aware. Eric, you might be aware of the Corridor crew. They went back. I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up. They went back in and they, and they uh, you can't see my me doing the air quotes, but they improved that <laughs> yes, scene. And it's amazing how much they have improved that scene just by doing, what was it, a deep fake that they ended up doing? Yeah, some, they use that technology and they've done that even to improve uh, the Luke Skywalker reveal yes. in, um, in Mandalorian. So uh, they go back and they try to fix bad effects and it's amazing what you can do. I mean, 20 years later and here they are, you know, a small, uh, you know, a special effects agency and just a bunch of guys horsing around and... And what they can do now compared to what you could do 20 years ago. And they're yep. really doing some impressive stuff. So, yeah, Quarter Crew's on uh, on YouTube. And check them out because every Saturday they also release their, you know, like um, uh, special effects guys react to like good and bad special effects or stunts yep. and things. It's it's my highlight of my Saturday yeah, when I wake they're, up. They're, like, they're la- oh, their, last, their last release of, uh, of, uh, stunt, of stunt work was particularly good. Mm-hmm. With the uh, the stunt woman from uh, the Mandalorian, yes, yes right, yeah, yes. was particularly excellent good. stuff. Yeah, go check them out; they're awesome. Yeah, definitely worth it. All right, well, why don't we get into the last little bit of the program before we uh, we sign off? So I will say this: um, let's continue on with some more music from the Mummy Returns as we're celebrating the score and the film right here on the show. Back in a bit.
with a little bit of music from the uh, the Mummy Returns. It's music from the film, obviously, as we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the, the film. Well, uh, getting close to the end of the program, guys. And uh, so what I will usually ask at this time is, uh, first of all, what do you got coming up in, in uh, your life? Let, let's start with Jason this time. Oh, oh, you mean oh, oh, you mean work? Oh, oh, yes, yes, Mr. Smart Alec. Well, I've got a couple of interviews coming up. Uh, Michael McGee, which is a fantastic subject, and a lovely, had a great interview with Robert Falk, which I'm nearly finished. And um, I'm working on a couple of archives, and also another quartet special, which is uh, on what I'm collaborating again with my good friend Chris Ballone. So, I've got plenty of stuff coming up in the next uh, few weeks for the uh, Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Okay, sounds good. Eric? Yeah, I've got to get all those shows up, so that's, that's my <laughs> job. I, I and like I'm to fall, keep, I like I'm keep very busy. By. Yeah, I, I, he, Jason keeps me very busy, and I'm falling behind, so obviously I still have to do part two of my favorites of uh, uh, favorite scores of last year, which hopefully gets up soon. Um, and then um, I'm going to do a trailer music uh, show, but it's trailer music actually written by the composer, of the film okay. that he wrote the trailer music. So think John Williams Hook or Nixon um, or like some of those old trailers that, you know, Max Steiner or Eric Wolpin Korngold wrote for, for uh, you know, The Adventures of Robin Hood or The Seahawk and uh, various things like that. So I'm doing that. And then I'm going to revisit uh, a show that I produced many, many years ago. And I've always wanted to do a, a kind of like a remastered version of it. So I'm going to start uh, redoing my four part series dedicated to the great conductor, Charles Gerhardt. Ah, okay. Introduced, I think all of us <laughs> to the, the, the great music of the golden age back in the seventies with his classic film score series. So I'm going to get back into that and redo the whole program. So it sounds better than ever. Cool. Awesome. Well, um, first of all, thanks guys for being on the show. It's always a pleasure. We will see this you. We will see you in a couple of weeks for uh, Star Trek six. Yes. And I'm looking uh, hugely forward to that. So as I always say, uh, that's all for me this week. Thanks for hanging in those that did. Uh, before I end off today's show, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever not feeling right, there are people out there that care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when you feel like no one is listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a huge team of people behind me, you know, including both Jason and Eric. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of emergency, please call 911 for immediate assistance. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868 all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we continue into March with a look at the music of the Mist Saga. I shall end off this week's show with some more music from The Mummy Returns, and I will be back next week with more Visions in Sound. <laughs>